0: What's up, everybody? Thursday morning, NHL Fantasy on Ice. Pete Jensen here with guest Chris Wassel. Follow him at Chris Wassell DFS. How's it going, Chris? Thanks for joining us.
1: It's going great, and I have, I have like, contrary to what you may see around me, uh, it, there, there is power here. It's just a little dip.
0: Well, we're glad you're staying well, and, uh, of course, uh, there has been some crazy activity in the NHL Stanley Cup qualifiers with these underdogs, the 12 Seeds. That's what you look for in March madness. I don't think we really expected it to actually happen in one let alone both of these series with the Blackhawks on the verge of advancing also the Canadians on the verge of advancing. Chris, like how surprised are you and which team do you see actually punching their ticket to the postseason?
1: I'm speechless. And that's that's hard to do to me, let alone any time, but especially in uh, in these times uh, with right. the Stanley Cup qualifiers. Uh, one of the biggest things that I noticed, and this may be the one team that goes through, uh, we joked about it uh, in sort of the pre meeting, Pete. That Edmonton home curse may just be real. There mm-hmm. there is something weird to what happened. The other night with bounces and just bizarre occurrences in, in that third period that cannot be explained. So um, this is something that has to be kept in mind. And I think Chicago actually may just be the one team that can get away with enough goofy bounce, bounces to advance.
0: Well, if you expected Edmonton's five-on-five production to be up to snuff, their power play would be clicking. McDavid has a bunch of power play points. McDavid, RNH, and Leon settle are second, third, and fourth in the league in playoff scoring behind Sebastian Ajo, yet this team is trailing two games to one. And the easy answer as to why is that Chicago's offense has been even a step better. They have more five-on-five goals in the series so far than Edmonton, hard to believe. And considering
1: Chicago's expected five on five goals throughout the season, you might not have quite seen this coming, but then again, the way Patrick Kane plays compared to say the regular season, the playoffs sometimes is a, is an even different beast. And we may not understand that from a actual looking at the stats standpoint, but his just looking at video, from from game three you notice the difference in his game when the actual flow of the game is more free form
0: and i mean we know the big game one from Kubo league but taves has kept it going he's got four goals in the series he hit another post yesterday i <laughs> uh, scored two goals I mean, it's like a resurrection of these championship caliber guys. And then at the same time, you see, we've talked about Dylan Strom, We've talked about kubalik You even see Kirby Doc on the third line having I mean, four assists in three games, right?
1: It, it's crazy. All right, let, let's put it this way, folks. If anybody is old school enough out there that remember the ending 10 minutes from the movie Excalibur. This is what the Chicago series feels like. You have the pomp, you have the circumstance, and you have the production. And it's something that, though not quite unexpected, is just enough that Edmonton fans this morning are scratching their heads in utter disbelief as to say, "What? what did we do to deserve this?
0: Right, and they scored a goal late in the second period that felt like that momentum shift. Okay, it's going to be all right, Edmonton. You're going to find a way in this game. It seems like every time Edmonton gets a lead, even if it's a two-goal lead, Chicago ends up tying it. It happened in the previous game, too. But then a late surge from Taves, the Blackhawks, scoring two goals in the final five minutes or so. And then, once again, the overhits, Chris, right? Like so many of these games around the league, in the postseason qualifiers, have been unders, but all three so far in the Chicago Edmonton series have been overs. Do you expect those to be locks for the final two games of the series, or maybe even just the final one if Chicago wins?
1: This is crazy. And This is bringing back memories of the old 2012 series between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, where it seemed the over hit every time. And Vegas Bookie started to up the number, up the number, up the number. And it got up to game five where the over under was an unheard of seven and a half for a playoff game. I mean, for the eighties. Okay. But, but not for, not for 2012. And that is when the trap hit. And I told people, no fade. Don't, don't bet. Don't, don't don't bet it. Just don't even put your money on it. Well, what do you think is going to happen? I think the under is going to hit, but I'm not stupid enough to try and bet it. And at some point in this series, you don't know if it's going to be game four or game five. The, 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 the wheels are going to fall off and goals are actually not going to happen. Uh, am I stupid enough to bet that right now? No, because the first three games, two things have hit. The first period over under, which is one and a half, it is now two wow. uh, I'm on some books for tonight not touching it. And the other is the game four over and under is expected to go up before tonight's game. So I would not touch it for that reason. I think it'll push. I could
0: see Edmonton maybe in game four with the extra motivation and the extra pressure. Like I could see them like hitting, hitting it themselves or something just some there, crazy to get back in the series. There's
1: something crazy that's going to happen. Uh, but if, from a, from a bookie standpoint, it's the, it's the perfect time to jump. From a better standpoint, it's probably time to stand
0: pat. But then Game Five, if Edmonton does correct things and maybe score four or five goals themselves with a win, then maybe Game Five would be the one where it like comes back down to earth. Super pressure on both yep. sides. Uh, you know the defenses try to you know batten down the hatches and then get the series with, win.
1: That's kind of what happened with that Pittsburgh Philly series. The Game Four was expected to be that sort of urgency where. And then the under the over got hit practically by the second period anyway. So it, it could just – it just happened one more time and then game five, boom.
0: And, again, I predicted that this series would go five, and I knew that Chicago had the offense to hang with them in any given game. Of course, to think that Chicago could finish it in four is unthinkable, really. But the other one is Montreal-Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh blows a 3-1 lead in the game, loses uh, on a game winner from Jeff Petrie. Shades of the game one when Petrie scored in overtime. He has the Penguins' number right now. And late in that game was the most concerning thing I've seen from Pittsburgh in a long time. They could barely enter the zone uh, with a chance, even when they had that late power play. Uh, and they pulled the goalie. They had a brief uh, six on four, right or whatever it was. And it's yeah. like uh, ridiculous. They couldn't even get into the zone. Is this a big concern, Chris? Uh,
1: it has to be con- troubling. I mean, look. Pittsburgh, the last 10 to 15 games before the pause was having issues galore. The middle of their defense was porous. They couldn't get anything generated in in the opposition zone. The opportunities weren't there. And yeah, the other night, it just seemed like it was shades of that, uh, shades of March all over again, uh, where the Mike Sullivan system, for lack of a better word, stagnated. And That shouldn't happen. Even in the bubble in Toronto, that that, that shouldn't happen, especially against a Montreal team that is just as porous down the middle defensively as as Pittsburgh can be. And there is something interesting to what Claude Julien did, though, that might have had a little bit to do do with that. Um, He he finally figured out that Dano and Byron should be together. I mean, I know Montreal fans, pundits – everybody up there has been screaming for this for about an entire season now. And finally it happened. And they seem to be able to shut down Pittsburgh's top six enough. Whereas they hadn't been able to throughout pretty much the first two and a half games of the series.
0: Right. So Evgeny Malkin now no goals in the series on 17 shots on goal from a DFS standpoint. I know he's still expensive. Do you have any interest in him or are you just fading him altogether?
1: I, I, I want to play him just because the break, the breakout is ba- just bound to just burst at the seams. At some point, he's going to score. And is it game four? Is it a game five? Perhaps. Not that we're hinting at anything here, uh, but at some point, you have to think that this not only hits, but this 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 hits in, in just in a big floodgates type way.
0: So what you were hinting at, perhaps, is that the Penguins, you think, might bounce back in game number four and uh, push the envelope, get it back to where it needs to be, and then it would still be anybody's guess. I mean, Montreal is, uh, you know, they're tied uh, for second with Carolina, who got the series sweep in five-on-five goals. So a really big, uh, you know, exceeding expectations for Montreal, what's happening here.
1: I mean, maybe it's just a law of averages with Montreal, considering this was a team that was excellent all season. They were top five most of the way and five on five chances almost all year. They were around between third and sixth all year. And the shooting percentage just wasn't there. And now, magically, it's like, oh, hey, uh, you know, we got some rest. We put some lines together that actually should have been, and we have production. Does that continue? Your guess is as good as mine because no one expected this.
0: One thing we could have expected, and nobody should be surprised by, is how well Carey Price is playing in the series. Nine thirty-seven. He's got two wins in three games. He has the most saves so far in the entire playoffs. So he's facing the volume. That's great for DFS in a win, even if it if it's a close loss uh, in Game Four. Uh, actually, right now the top two goalies in save volume. Carey Price and Darcy Kemper. And, of course, uh, the Arizona Coyotes are in good shape right now, up 2-1. But, yeah, for Montreal, like, betting-wise, how do you think it's going to materialize here? Because I know I was talking to Bobby yesterday, and there was not much value on the bets. Um, Montreal had great value, though. They were, like, plus 150 or something like that. So, like, how do you expect it to correct here that Montreal has the surprising series lead?
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to correct slightly, but I don't think it's going to correct to the level people are expecting because it's a five-game series. Uh, if this was a seven and Montreal was up 3-1, then it would, then it would be a little bit different. But most people are, are sitting there going, okay, Pittsburgh blew a lead in game one and game three. They pretty much control game two most of the way a lot of bookies seem to still think that Pittsburgh has the way in this series. It's just a question of executing and for lack of a better term,
0: not blowing it. Right. And, but the thing is like when you look at the five on five production from Montreal, and then you look at the fact like even that bad power play I was talking about yesterday for Pittsburgh late in the game, prior to that in the game, they were two for two. So it's like, they're taking advantage of their power plays, but that is, that only seems to be just keeping them in the game so that's really alarming. Even if you're looking, like, based on those production stats, the chances of Montreal winning one of the next two games is very high, right? Wouldn't you think, based on those it, those trends? It, it's high. It's
1: high now, but because of the biggest thing is neutral site, so there's there's not that, that home ice advantage. Uh, the early the early line, and this is this is interesting, um, is expected to fluctuate heavily. Uh, from, from what I've been told, and not just because it's a four o'clock start, uh, but just because of actually what we're talking about right now. Just There's just such an uh, unknown, and you got, have to figure that because it's not in Pittsburgh and it's in a neutral site, that Montreal has to have an elevated chance. It's inevitable just because you figure, say, from a 33% chance, you know, just to throw an arbitrary number, it's really a coin flip. It's not your normal probability. You cannot go back on any set of numbers in particular now because we are in such an unknown time.
0: So true, and uh, it's good to see scoring uh, in the series that we've talked about uh, so far in the show. But for Toronto and Columbus, it's been the opposite. Neither team has a power play goal in the series. Uh, Toronto bounced back nicely, big performance from Matthews in game two as we predicted here Uh, but the big wrinkle here for game three for toronto and columbus is that jake muzzin is out for the rest of the series and chris when you look at it how big of an impact is it if you look strictly at the winning percentage which is relevant for the postseason 53 percent with muzzin 40 percent without muzzin that's since the muzzin trade last uh, january
1: It's a big enough impact. I mean, look, flow of play-wise, Toronto completely dominated game two, and it was pretty much expected. Uh, The one concern that you always have for Toronto, and you hate to say this in the playoffs, but it's always going to be a concern for Toronto until they figure this out, is defensively, at what point do they crack in, in this series? And they cracked a couple times in game one. They did crack a couple times early in game two. People forget this, that even though Frederick Anderson didn't face that many shots, he made a couple pretty vital saves in the first period that that kept the game scoreless and allowed Toronto to get its legs, and then they had the shot edge that was 2-1 to uh, pretty much by the end. Now, can they put the proverbial skate on Columbus's throats early in this game? Because I think if they can't, they're going to have a big problem in Game Three. At, at some point, at some point, Columbus is going to find a way to score a few few goals. They're not that far off.
0: Yeah, and I mean Freddie's been great. I've been a big Freddie fan for many years, dating back to um, his Anaheim days, and I, I think that he's been one of the strong points here. And also, like something else that we maybe expected is that Toronto would be forced to play closer to the way that Columbus plays just to like put up a fight in this series. You saw it in game one, they got shut out for the first time all season. They made some adjustments still played uh, sound defensively and uh, in the neutral zone. And then of course, finally got off the Schneid in terms of uh, getting on the board and getting the win. So would you roll out Freddie Anderson? Uh, like I know Rob Reese picked him for today's uh, game three and I tend to agree with it. But what are your thoughts on Freddie Anderson and DFS for uh, the game three?
1: I would, I, would, I would roll him out with the expectation that he may face a few more shots. Is he going to face 35, 40 shots like maybe, oh, I don't know, Corpus Allo? No. Uh, is he going to face somewhere in the realm of 25 to 28 shots? Probably. I don't expect Columbus to get held around 20 shots again. I, I just I just can't see it. Uh for for a lot of reasons. Obviously Jake Muzzin being out for one. Uh but Tor- John Tortorello give him credit. He will figure out that Toronto is using the third man in both as a four checker and a back checker rotating uh at some point. And I do think Columbus will get a few more chances and Anderson will be more tested.
0: And maybe, yeah, maybe the Muzzin injury opens things up a little bit. I mean, that's not, that's very telling, like we were saying, and he's a very sound two-way defenseman. He's not Tyson Barry, where it it wouldn't have any, uh, you know, difference on the the back end. I mean, not having Muzzin, who's been a good possession player his whole career, uh, could be significant. We'll see. Definitely, uh, you know, makes Columbus a little more attractive offensively here for Game 3. Um, One, I wanted to ask you about Carolina because they made quick work of the Rangers quicker than I thought they could have. But again, the possession dominance, the goaltending, the coaching, I thought it was a great move to not start Morazic on the second of a back-to-back and trust James Reimer for his first start in so long and he really delivered for them. What do you think about Carolina's ceiling now that they're uh, past the qualifying round and awaiting their next opponent?
1: The funniest thing about this this entire series, and I I I, <laughs> I was on with Tom Vecchio on the Daily Deke about about a week ago as we were previewing this, and I said the one thing that was going to be the key in this series was simply how Carolina's top line executed, not not just from a five of five standpoint, but in even as far as their first unit power play, and they didn't have to score on the power play necessarily, but they had a set they had a set of tone on special teams. So naturally, the opposite kind of happens, and they set a they set a tone of even strength. Uh, Andrei Svechnikov has the game of games in game two that you kind of expect a young forward who is well, maybe as good as Evgeny Malkin, perhaps. You know, the ceiling is the ceiling is at least potentially there, and you, you saw glimpses of where. The Rangers had Carolina's number, where you could see in the regular season compared to the postseason. And then Carolina, unlike the regular season, found a way to shut the door simply by executing. You you look at game two, it was one nothing Rangers. Carolina finds a way to tie it. Well, game three, Chris Kreider scores early. I I could see on Twitter. I'm at work, mind you, and I can see Ranger fans almost exhaling. Okay, we got that. I was like, no, you don't. The next shift, Carolina comes out, hits the post. The shift after that, Carolina gets two quality scoring chances. The third shift is when Teravine ties it. And at that point, I said, your season's over. You, you, you could see Carolina had the answer that they did not have in the regular season, and that came down to, yep, good old-fashioned coaching. And you have to give Rob Rendemore a ton of credit for being able to rotate his guys, play Ajo a little bit differently, as well as Swachnikov. They were switching at times, and the Rangers' defense had no answers for that.
0: And it's truly amazing that they swept the Rangers and shut down that offense without Dougie Hamilton, so that gives them even an extra gear that they could reach uh, if and when Hamilton comes back from the long-term injury Interesting fan question we got uh, about keeper leagues for fantasy. People are looking at Sebastian Ajo in a totally different light now because he's scoring so far better—what, better than two points per game so far in the playoffs. And the question was... Who would you rather have for next year in Keeper Leagues, Zabanajad or Aho? I think coming into the playoffs it would have been Zabanajad by a landslide, but what do you think of that? I think uh, Aho has certainly closed the gap and the league that he's talking about counts like shorthanded points, you know, stuff like that. So, definitely closed the gap did Aho.
1: The the gap is more than closed. I actually would side with the the Aho slide side just by a nose. And for this reason you look at the shooting percentage that Zibanejad enjoyed this year. Is that absolutely sustainable? And it is, but is it to the extent that he's producing at now? And that answer is probably no. And it's funny because Ajo's numbers were the exact opposite. He had a lower than normal or lower than he should uh, five of five shooting percentage. And that's starting to level out. And I think what you're seeing now, the 38 to 40 goal, uh, well, let's face it, Aho probably would have easily scored 40 if we had uh, had a full season. And the thought process is f- and much to the chagrin of people that play against him in fantasy, that is only going to continue with the rise of a guy like Andre Swachnikov.
0: It seems like so many lists, like if you look at, I think it was like road goals per game or goals per game, like Aho always sneaks into the top five to 10 of all yep. of those lists. And you just kind of like, I don't know, you just like kind of ignore him a little bit, but you know how sound he is defensively, but now he's taking that next step offensively. So he is a scary combination, one of the best two way forwards in the game for sure. I want to get your thoughts on a couple of these other series, the Winnipeg Calgary series. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two key injuries for Winnipeg? And do you think Calgary will finish them off in game four? I think that Winnipeg still has a prayer because of Hellebuck and uh, the way that Nikolai Ehlers has been playing goals in consecutive games here.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny with this Vancouver... Well, I joked with the Vancouver-Minnesota series even. That's kind, of kind of the same way. You just don't know how it's going to end. And the Calgary-Winnipeg series seems to be going not quite the same script, but sort of to that destiny of there's a game five waiting um look connor hellbook's been rather good in this series despite i i know everybody's gonna say oh game three chris game three i i, I know but <laughs> look y- you look at the volume of injuries you look at the, the high volume stress that calgary was able to generate in game game three. I don't think they can sustain that and neither team seems to be able to sustain the level that they have from game to game. It seems that there's been fluctuations all over the place and and they haven't met in the middle so you haven't gotten that, maybe that game in the series that you're expecting where both teams are at their highest level and game four seems to likely feature no exception to the rule as you you just get this feeling that you know, Hellebuck Ehlers, even, you know, Ponk, who's been producing well this series, quietly. I mean, there's there's DFS value abound all over the place because you have a higher than normal volume of games. But in this series in particular, uh, because I can just fade Monaghan and Goudreau all day and go everywhere else and be, and be just fine. Uh, Hellbuck expects probably to face 30 shots again. He's faced 30-plus in every game of this series. Uh I do think that his best game in the series is still to come. Uh, The first three, okay, he was good in games one and two. Game three, well, just throw the mulligan. But I think you're going to see a very good performance in him uh, tonight.
0: Yeah, they might need him to steal a game, and he's certainly capable of doing that. Uh, Islanders had a chance to close out the Panthers yesterday yesterday. Of course, Florida's uh, capitalizing on some key power play opportunities, swung the momentum of the game. I mean, do you think the Islanders are definitely going to win this series? Or you think like they let Florida creep back in and now it's anybody's guess again?
1: Look, Florida's power play is dangerous. I mean, this, this is a team that at one point was right near 30% for most of the season. They were in the top three or four in the league amongst power plays. And they have been for almost two seasons now. The funny thing is Mike Hoffman scoring even straight goals in consecutive games, which nobody could have got, look, somebody at Vegas joked to me, there was like a prop bet laying around somewhere that Mike Hoffman scoring even an even straight goal in the series was plus 400. And I wish I could have found it sooner. Uh, (laughs) I can only imagine consecutive games would have to be something like plus 1500 or plus 2000, something outrageous. so of course, naturally, Hoffman has no power play goals in the series, but everybody else feels like it does. Uh, the Islanders did let Florida creep back in, and that was something that I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, there was there was again that moment of exhaling if you were a Flyers family, like, maybe we got this, and then it swung.
0: Yeah, for sure, so, so, for sure, uh, and. I- there was a big confidence boost that I saw from Bobrovsky at the end of that game. Like, I know the Islanders Finally. scored to make it a one-goal game. But he made the big save. That was, like, one of the first times in recent memory that he sealed up, locked down the game on one of those final attempts uh, for the stoppage of play. And it was just, like, it struck me as a confidence boost. Like, what if he now plays better than Varlamov for the rest of the season, for the rest of the series? And then, of course, is going to be you know, you know, upset about that blunder that he had, uh, going outside the trapezoid and like, does something like that stick in your head? How do you view the goaltending matchup right now, based on what you've seen lately in the whole series?
1: Yeah. The question now, now begs Did we finally see the Varom from the second half of Columbus's, you know, the last, his last season in Columbus where he basically buoyed that team in and then, you know, obviously they swept Tampa. Um, you know, what happens now? And that's the, that's the ultimate question from this series. And again, there is no definitive answer because, well, in these series, if anything has been noted, it's not the consistency. It's all the inconsistencies that have, that have happened throughout these, these, these series. And particularly in the Florida, New York one. And Florida has a dog you know, they and have, they have definitely a lot of fight left and if New York is not careful, no matter how well you're coached, uh, a team can definitely, special teams is a great equalizer and Florida has it, New York has had their issues with it and all it takes again is another one of those Varlamov or even a Grice Blunder and this series is completely different.
0: Yeah, the Islanders have gotten nice performances from guys like Beauvillier, three points in three games, Jordan Eberle carrying over his postseason success from last year, and Pajot as well. But if you're not getting anything from your top guys, Barzell and Lee, I'm talking about you, Like as this series lingers on, it kind of casts that doubt. And again, if the Islanders are on a key power play with the game on the line, you don't trust that power play, right, Chris? I don't either.
1: Yeah, Here, here's the crazy thing, and I, and I suggested this to Rob Tob. Why not give the middle six a shot uh, as, the, as your top power play unit at, at this point and take mm-hmm. the top line that you've kind of hemmed in there or the, most of the top line and put them on the second power play and see what happens? Because at this point, Florida has Florida's more than figured it out You're not going to be able to make a change on the fly that helps, helps the top power play unit other than switch them. That's about the only thing you can do because it seemed like to me, their second power play unit had more chances than their first.
0: Chris, one last thing for me, just to touch on the round Robin, like Tampa Bay has been so good. So we don't really need to touch on them. They're like, you know, they're clicking even without Stamkos in all situations. So great to see for them. But out in the West, like coming into the playoffs, I was so torn between Vegas and Colorado. Both have looked really good, but especially Colorado. What's your biggest takeaway from the round robin? And who do you like more out of those two teams, Vegas or Colorado, uh, based on what you've seen? This is this
1: is the even more of a dilemma than the chicken or the egg. Uh, wow, I mean, Colorado's on fire. They're getting production from all ends. They they look like the team everybody expected to. It doesn't matter who they start in goaltend for goaltending. You get the you get the same you get the same production. Uh, Vegas has been a little hit or miss. They needed that come, miraculous comeback against Dallas, uh, but the offense has been great uh, even without patcheretti. It hasn't mattered much. Mark Stone's playoff production, which he thought, you know, the regular season couldn't be matched or exceeded. Wrong. Uh, as, as we saw last year in the playoffs. He, he finds a way to just get numbers. And for that reason, I think with the return of patch already coming, and you have to think, Vegas's goaltending is a little bit more experienced than Colorado's. And that's kind of the tipping point here. You have to side with Vegas, especially with the neutral site. If this had been played in Colorado, I would honestly side with Colorado.
0: Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I think that I would give Vegas the goaltending edge as well. But then you see Pavel Francois come in and have a shutout in his first <laughs> career postseason game. So maybe that is more of even more of a close debate than we thought. And I'm really excited to see those teams. Like, if those teams could meet each other in the conference final, that would be—I don't care who wins—that would be my watch series of the whole postseason to see Vegas play Colorado, see those two teams go head to head.
1: Yeah, that would probably exceed any Stanley Cup final that we could come up with, other than maybe a Colorado-Tampa Bay. That would Syria. be awesome.
0: That's that might exceed. <laughs> That's it. about it would be close. When I could
1: – yeah, that's the one I could think of that would come come the closest. But wow, that would be some back to back to get a Western Conference Final like that, and then and then a Stanley Cup Final.
0: For quite sure, entertaining man.
1: for quite entertaining for for late November, early October.
0: <laughs> You'd love to see it. So, Chris, thanks for joining us, man. Really good stuff as always. Follow him at Chris Wassel DFS. Hit him up for betting advice. Hit him up for the DFS. And thanks for joining us, buddy.
1: Th- thank you, Pete. Thank you guys very much.
0: All right, and we'll have Rob back on the show on Friday. We're bringing on uh, Michael Lieboff from Action Network. Looking forward to that to preview a big weekend of Game 5s and some more Game 4s on Thursday. So for Chris Wassel, Pete Jensen, thanks for listening to NHL Fantasy on Ice. Talk to you again on Friday.